In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. At a time when the nation is in mourning over senseless shootings, the continuing effects of racism, and myriad political and social issues that lead to division and strife, many of us have gone to our knees in prayer. And of course, it is not the first time we have done this. And I thought about your feelings this week. To be honest about it, I suspect that the continuation of struggle and violence after countless prayers by faithful people inevitably prompts some people, perhaps some of you, to wonder if your prayers are efficacious or if they ever will be. Our readings today give us a base from which to discuss this. But I want to start with an overview of what Christian theology teaches about prayer, its purpose, its effects on the world, and its transformative power on our own lives. Theology is, after all, sort of the culmination of all that Christians have experienced through centuries of time. And even though it gets expressed as doctrine, it is the product of experience and reason tested in the light of Scripture. When I was in seminary, I was taught a little summary of how we experience prayer over the course of our lives. Just like there are stages of life and stages of faith, there are also stages of prayer, or so this teaching goes. The first stage is typically associated with our childhood, in which we pray, and more often than not, it seems that God answers our prayers, which are mostly prayers for what we want for ourselves and for our immediate family. The second stage is when we begin to notice that it seems God is perhaps not answering our prayers, which are mostly prayers. Well, let me put it this way. We're still praying for what we want during this stage. Maybe during these years we even stop praying altogether. Finally, if we persist, we may mature enough in our faith that we no longer even pray for what we want, but we allow ourselves to be taken up into God's concerns. When that happens, our prayers are in perfect alignment with the will of God, and we are transformed into being active agents for what God wants. We become the vehicles through which God's will for the world is implemented. We no longer even ask for what we want, because in this stage of prayer, we're not negotiating with God or trying to change God. Ultimately, you see, prayer is not designed to change God at all. It is designed to change us. Well, I was taught this little summary some years ago, and it still basically works for me as a reminder that prayer changes us. However, there are some insights in our readings from today that render this summary somehow a little bit inadequate now, at least for me. 
I find myself thinking that maybe the act of prayer is meant to be both simpler and at the same time more complex in its multiple effects on God, on those for whom we pray, and on ourselves. I mean, first of all, who can fail to notice that in our reading from Hebrew scripture today, Abraham negotiated with God and seems to have changed God's mind Apart, of course, from the dangers of thinking in anthropomorphic terms and attempting to reduce God to our level, nevertheless, we are right to think of God as in a personal, a very personal relationship with us, even to the point of thinking of God as Father. The word Jesus used actually is better translated as Daddy. Very personal. Very familiar. And, of course, these days... We are also acknowledging the maternal characteristics of God and find comfort in thinking of God as mother. Either way, this is a very personal relationship that we're talking about here. And the idea of God as a personal father is very old. It has many Old Testament roots. God instructed Nathan to tell David, I will be his father and he shall be my son. You can read that in 2 Samuel. In a prayer, Isaiah said, for you are our father. Through Jeremiah, God said to Israel, you shall call me my father and shall not turn away from following me. That's Jeremiah 3. For I am a father to Israel. Jeremiah 31. Malachi said, don't we all have one father? Hasn't one God created us? It's Malachi 2. So, in our reading for today, Abraham talked to God seemingly unafraid and bold enough to try to change God's mind, so to speak. Think of it. Have you ever tried to change God's mind? Or even felt bold enough to try? Hmm. I cannot help but wonder if our reluctance to try says something significant about our faith or that our relationship with God is not yet personal enough. As far as prayer's effect upon God is concerned, of course, we have to consider today's gospel reading, too, where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. It's just a guess on my part, but I imagine the disciples had literally no idea that their request would lead to a huge amount of personal responsibility on their part for the conditions in the world. At the same time, we might wonder why they would even bother to ask. Isn't prayer just talking to God? Why would the disciples need help with prayer? They had seen Jesus at prayer, and they had seen that his prayers gave him something special. The disciples were really asking Jesus to share that something special, I think. In other words, Lord, you pray a lot, and your prayers do great things for you, so teach us how to pray Teach us the right words. Teach us the right posture. Teach us the right way to hold our hands. Teach us the right time of day. Share your secrets with us, Lord. The disciples probably have in mind maybe a set prayer for recitation. But they might also want instruction in prayer principles. Well, Jesus gave them a set prayer, as you know which also serves as a model for extemporaneous prayer, and it teaches them about the one to whom they pray, portraying God as a loving father whom they can trust. 
But here's what jumps out at me from the gospel reading today. Because it seems to at least slightly contradict what I said earlier about no longer asking for ourselves, about allowing ourselves to get swept up into God's concerns, what I realize is that in teaching this prayer, Jesus, who was, after all, God incarnate, is not saying, quit asking for things you want and need. Just think about what I want for the world, because my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Just get on board with my concerns, with my priorities, with things that are much bigger than you. God was not saying that. In other words, examine the Lord's Prayer and see that Jesus gave no hint that it would be wrong to ask for what you need. Now, once, maybe another question. So I will focus initially just on what we need. That would certainly include our daily bread and forgiveness. Being spared the time of trial may also be in the category of what we need, but I think it's also clearly in the category of something we want. So it appears to be okay to ask for what we need and maybe for at least some of the things we want as well. I will tell you that I still struggle with asking for what I want but have slowly come to realize that if my prayers open the way for Christ to act through me, who I am may reflect both answered prayer and unanswered prayer. I've had to learn to be at peace with both. And when I am at peace, I'm able to turn my focus to this question. Will what I want benefit the kingdom either now or in the future? In other words... We can see that Jesus is not altogether ignoring this idea that we are to be taken up into God's concerns. For we are taught to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Yes. And how was that to happen exactly? Through allowing ourselves to be taken up into God's concerns. Individually and as a church body. That's the orientation and the process that leads to our shared responsibility for what happens next in the world, starting right here, right now. The bottom line is the Lord's Prayer allows us to pray for what we need personally and also for the fulfillment of God's will for the world. And perhaps that is precisely the tension we feel every single time we sit down to pray. Among other things, we want God to intervene and fix things that have gone so horribly wrong in the world. I have in mind unspeakable horrors from history and even from this past week. We want God to stop the horrific acts of violence everywhere. It's hard to hear this, but at least part of God's response requires our doing our part to eliminate the conditions that breed violence. But let's go back for a moment to the fact that the disciples wanted to learn how to pray. And Jesus was willing to teach them. Probably most of us have wondered at one time or another if we were doing it right. I've been in church all my life. But sometimes I still wonder if I'm doing it right usually recognizing I have not yet cleansed my mind from the multiple effects of ego. Another problem I have is that I sometimes approach my prayer without being prepared to lean on, trust, and be confident in God. 
in such moments, when I doubt I am ready to pray, I always revert to the Lord's Prayer, trusting it is the one recitation that simply has to be right because it was given by Jesus directly. Still, we do try other things, don't we? Sometimes we try to wax eloquent and we try to be poetic and we try to come up with beautiful words. I read a story about a pastor who told this anecdote on himself. He said, some years ago I took a course in seminary taught by Donald McLeod. Dr. McLeod wanted us to understand that a prayer could be special because of the beauty and the meaning of the words. He stood before his class and he recited these words. Some of them are familiar to you, I think. O Lord, support us all the day long until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then in thy mercy grant us a safe lodging and a holy rest and peace at the last. Then he told us that those words have been passed down through the generations because they touch a very deep place in people's lives. The words are indeed beautiful, but the real beauty is in the meaning behind the words. Anyway, the pastor went on with his anecdote. After demonstrating that a well-worded prayer has special power, he invited each of us to take out pen and paper and to write a prayer. The room became quiet. Just the scratching of pens on paper and an occasional cough as we struggle to match the beauty of that classic prayer. He said, I don't remember what I wrote that day, but I remember how I felt. I felt like a total klutz. There were no good words in me that day. I felt the way that I had felt when a high school teacher required us to write a sonnet. <laughs> Writing a good prayer is not easy. Well, I know that's true, which is frankly one of the reasons I rely so completely on the words of the Lord's Prayer when my own words utterly fail me. There's just such incredible meaning and power in the words of the Lord's Prayer. But for some of us, you know, the familiarity of the words may block an effective use of this prayer at this point in our lives. Also, I know I don't need to tell you that many people today are weary of institutional, formulaic, habitual, and or liturgical expressions. In other words, there are people who are seeking new insights and the personal growth that comes from something new in the midst of their journey towards spiritual maturity. So perhaps it would help at least some of you if I urged you to try something with the Lord's Prayer that comes out of an ancient praxis still utilized in various spiritual formation practices and programs today. Try praying the Lord's Prayer essentially one word at a time. Now, this is going to take some time because in this you're going to be asked to pray contemplating each word for at least a minute, maybe more. Then add the next word. Ask yourself what the next word adds to your understanding of the first one. Continue this exercise until you have reached the end and have contemplated how each additional word, phrase, or sentence adds to your understanding of the prayer. And then say a little prayer of your own in thanksgiving for the new insights you have been given through your reflection upon these words. I guarantee you, if you do this, 
you will get some new insights. Now, there's another very important part of the gospel reading today, and that is the teaching about persistence. Jesus said, keep asking, and it will be given you. Keep seeking, and you will find. Keep knocking, and it will be opened to you. It sounds as if God will provide anything you want. Just ask and God will give it. However, it's not that simple, is it? We, we've tried that. We've all tried that. And we know it doesn't always work that way. Because we've all prayed for things we did not get. The opening words of the Lord's Prayer actually gives us part of the explanation. The word father is part of the explanation. Does a good parent always give the child what the child wants? Of course not. A good parent gives the child food and clothing, and the good parent also puts limits on things. For example, does the good parent give the child a bicycle when there's no safe place to ride? Does a good parent give the child the keys to the car before the child has a license? Does a good parent give a child a rifle when there's no safe place to shoot? Does the good parent give the child permission to stay out all night? Using the word father is intended to teach us that ours is a personal God who loves us and provides for our deepest needs, but it also explains why not every prayer is answered just as we ask. Now, you may think my simple examples adequately explain why children do not get what they want, and yet you may still be reluctant to accept the idea that we adults should not get all that we want. Some of this all-to-human confusion is a result of failing to distinguish wants and needs. Some of the confusion is a result of failing to understand the nature and character of God. And some of the confusion is in our failure of persistence and patience. In fact, praying often is actually the key to understanding God much better. Mother Teresa wrote, Love to pray. Feel often during the day the need for prayer and take trouble to pray. Prayer enlarges the heart until it is capable of containing God's gift of himself. Ask and seek and your heart will grow big enough to receive him and keep him as your own. So we should pray often and remember words from Isaiah assuring us that in returning to God and in resting in God, we will be saved The idea that resting in God could save us sounds a little bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? But Isaiah also said, in quietness and trusting confidence will be our strength. If it is hard for you to rest in God, in light of the scriptures we've heard today, at least be confident that you do indeed know how to pray. As Jesus taught, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
with focused attention on all that these words mean. Here is my prayer for us today. So may it be, friends. So may it be. And may we, may we help make it so.